It's Cofield and Company. 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 Who puts y'all in charge of snack distribution? With Steve Cofield. Then I seen him. I seen Steve. And Adam Hill. Adam Hill is usually so fair, so reasonable. Uh, that's shocking to hear something like that from Adam Hill. It's time for Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. It's Friday, Friday. Gotta get down on Friday. Everybody's looking forward to the weekend, weekend. Friday, Friday. Getting down on Friday. Everybody's looking forward to the weekend. Partying, partying. Partying, partying. Yeah. All right, partying, partying, partying. Friday, 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 Friday. LV Ballpark on a Friday, getting ready for a fireworks night as Reno is in town to take on your aviators. Adam Hill is here as the company. Ari is back in our Finley Toyota Studios. Can I tell you, I hesitated for a second with the aviator's name because all of a sudden, like a slot machine, (laughs) all the teams in town started going through my head, and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to get the wrong one. We have so many teams now. We do. It's great. It's amazing. I was actually thinking, and Ari would love this, especially with today's setup, I was actually thinking we should do like a like a local broadcast Friday, and every time there's a game in town on Fridays, try to be out as much as possible. What do you think, Ari? What do you think, buddy? I love it. Well, anything that gets us out of studio, Ari yes, that too. Actually, I think it's the other way. It's funny. I was talking to Chuck Johnson, who uh, you know runs things here, along with Don Logan, and he was like, are you guys ever in studio? I'm like, no, <laughs> no. basically since COVID started, I think our count now, all of us together in studio is probably 22 shows in over two years. It seems high. I know. I think I may have boosted it up yeah, a little bit. I think it's too high. I don't even know what to do with myself when you're in here. You know what's weird is you, you actually don't maximize your enjoyment because you're a ball of stress the entire time. Do you remember what Clay used to do? Order a pizza. Yep. Clay would have, like, Cofield and Company on-the-road pizza shows. He would just have a whole pizza for himself. <laughs> and that was when we didn't have, you know, now we've got, like, a little uh, video talkback system. So we can kind of – maybe that's why you don't do it. Because if you did it, we would just bust your chops that you're really enjoying yourself. I mean, I take a lot of flack from my granola gar- bar consumption. Well, I hate your granola bar consumption because I'm always worried about you choking. <laughs> I appreciate the concern. It's like eating peanuts. It's like a host eating peanuts is just – one of the most dangerous things you can do, because at any moment, some nut shard could be stuck in your throat, wow. and then that's it. And then, and then you have, uh, as I've had to do a couple of times, especially when I was having some throat issues at the beginning of the year when I had COVID. I was coming back from COVID. I would just lock up. I, were you? No, you actually, you were there that day. I think it was at Silver Sevens. You looked down for a second, and I was, like, building to a delivery of a story with, like, 10 seconds left in the show. And all of a sudden, I was like, uh, Done. And I just start pointing to Ari, like, that's yeah. it, show's over. Well, I definitely thought you were having a stroke. And I was going through my mind of, like, what are you supposed to do? I don't know the checklist. This is not good. Yeah, it was bad. Yeah, what? that's good material. The stroke material is always a good one. I, I was being pull. genuine. It wasn't a joke. <laughs> well, I'm glad you uh, you went to, like, the worst-case scenario. You were very worried about me. I was. Well, it was a very weird thing to witness. <laughs> just in the middle of talking, it just stopped. It's the three on Cofield and Company. Headlines at three o'clock. There's a lot of good stuff coming. A lot of good stuff coming. We just had a breaking news story about a half an hour ago. I can't wait to get to this one. 
at multiple po- uh, moments, points during the show. Very exciting stuff. But we start out with, did you turn on the Masters? Did you watch Tiger? He got off to a rough start. He's actually fought back. He's scrapping to at least stay in the mix and not have a disastrous round. Yeah, actually, I watched a little bit of it. I watched him play uh, play 12, and it wasn't good. <laughs> it wasn't his best his best effort. But he started off really – he was really struggling early. He was really fighting it. Uh, the first four holes, I think three of the first four he bogeyed. Uh, then I t- tuned it out for a little bit. Um, but, yeah, Tiger, Tiger was fighting back. I mean, I think that's that's almost – uh, the more impressive thing is to to not have your game and then to to be able to figure out how to find it. That's vintage Tiger, and it was kind of cool to see. Uh, I I made one bet on the Masters, and uh, my guy was at two under through eleven, and I was like, oh, this is great. Just stay even the rest of the day. Just stay even at two under, and it didn't happen. He's that one over, uh, still in contention, I suppose. Patrick Cantlay, uh, but not quite uh, up the up there on the leaderboard like he was early in the day. Uh, it was fun to watch though. I, I thought it was a uh, Entertaining. Uh, who's it? Scheffler was on quite a run at the end of the front nine. Uh, got up to four under. I don't know where he is now. He's six. Oh, no. He's three under today. That's not good. Why is that not good? It's not good. He's, he's at one over, so he's. No, he's I thought he's if still, the leader. Still got plenty of time. If the leader was at three, it would have been like, all right, we're only four shots back. That's good. Cantlay's, like you said, plus one. He was plus three today. Yeah. And Tiger's plus two today. Um, I think he's on 14, so he's plus one. Overall, I know uh, our gambling buddy Fez had bet Tiger over a 73.5 for second-round score, so right now he'd be on pace to shoot a 74. So I think he said it a couple grand on that one, which it was funny. On social media, people were like, I want to see the ticket. No. We need have to see the ticket. No. Well, like people were questioning whether he got 73.5. Like, he got 70. Trust him. He got 73. He's actually not to sit here and, and, you know, pump, if people don't know who he is, you know, pump Fezzik, but – He's actually one of the more public guys with his betting of any of, especially the new people, right? I mean, this is a guy who went in contests for years and years and years, head-to-head contests on radio, where his record was out there. And he's a two-time winner of the Super Contest. No, I, I, I mean, I, I don't think, I don't think Fez is one of one of those that lies about tickets or makes them up. But this is an era of when, like, if you are going to be that person, well, he doesn't. Um, he's in a different world. I don't know that he has to do it. I, I know there was a big controversy the other day with one of the other. Uh, you know, tout people out there that like a long time tout or a new tout, new new school, who was celebrating male or female, female, really. Well, she was celebrating at halftime. Oh, and she said, she said, feels so good. You know, when your when your North Carolina money line ticket looks this good, or no. Something. And then after the game was like, oh, thank goodness I had plus four. Like, wait, what? Oh wow! Yeah, people went nuts. Changed the narrative, huh? And she said, "Well, I I put in a ticket. I I didn't check it. I realized after the game I had the plus four. Like, what? Okay. So, oh come on! It was bad. <laughs> come on! It she was, was bragging about a money line and then said, "Oh, I, yeah. I put in the wrong ticket." Yeah, it was pre- it was pretty ugly. But then you know, there's a guy. There's actually a TikTok guy. I know TikTok is your realm. There's a guy on TikTok who like literally just lives to find these errors. Oh really? And did a whole video on it. That's and then. Fun. She put out a statement saying, "Wow, I guess people have nothing better to do with their time." Like, no, 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 you are in this world now. You are yeah, putting yourself out there. I don't, I don't understand what. Like, I'm seeing this a lot where people who are and they've really they've been hired by new media companies or straight up by the sports books, and then they get mad when their records are tracked and call people losers for tracking their records. Like, folks, this has been going on for ever, especially since social media has been around. That's what people do. Yeah. And we, we got a, you know, we got a, what's his name, G-Unit down at VEASAN who puts in 
I mean, literally 4,500 to 5,000 college basketball bets. Someone tracked them all year. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. If you put it out there and you hit 48%, then you hit 48%. Yeah. I think if you're in this world uh, where you're putting yourself out there every day or you're, you know, in this in this realm, you need to be accountable for what you put out there. There's no question. That said, I don't know. I think Fezzik's got a long enough track record. He doesn't need to exactly. be putting his tickets out yeah. there. Um, unless you know, maybe people know about some suspicious. Uh, well, and I don't. Stuff I don't like know what the number was. If the number, if the market number was like seventy six or something, and he said he got over seventy three and a half, then yeah, I think that I, there's a there's a case where you have to put your ticket. It up. was seventy three and a half. I looked when we were at Silver Sevens, and when I looked later that night, it was probably night because uh, I was going to fire on it too. I'm like, yeah, Fez is on it. I'll take a chance, right? Um, it was seventy four, so it's not. Yeah. It's not that. Yeah, okay. and, so, and, and then someone responded, hey, you know, like. Whatever. The best I could get was 75. I mean, there's obviously a million markets now, a million places you can bet these things. If the it, market... There shouldn't be that much of a gap at any given time, but, you know, who knows? Who knows what the what book, you know, what book it is and what they got to balance, what kind of money they already have on Tiger and others? Well, if the, if the market was 74, I would be willing to bet that Fed's got 73 and a half. Well, that's sure. the other thing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I mean, a little bit of good news yesterday, but not enough for the Vegas Golden Knights. They got a game coming up on Saturday with Zona in town, so there's a lot of scoreboard watching because the Knights have so many more games in hand than their competition. So, I mean, someone had to lose this game, right, with Edmonton and the Kings. So Edmonton wins. So now the Kings sit at 73 games played, 86 points. Edmonton, 72 games played, 89 points. The Knights are at 72 and 82, 72 games played and 82 points. Unfortunately, other teams are competing with for the wild card, Nashville won straight up, so they got 70 games in hand, 86 points. Dallas didn't win, but got to overtime. Yeah. So that freaking that, – that difference between that one and two points can be massive. So Dallas now is sitting at 70 games in hand, 84 points. So, I mean, they Dallas and, and, and Nashville are still, you know, two played games behind. Yeah. VGK, and, and VGK has less points than them. So, I mean, it's just getting the, – the margin, especially after the other day, a 5-1 loss to the Canucks is down to nothing. Yeah, the, the the wild card has been obviously it's been a possibility. I know teams, I know people have been tracking fans. I see on Twitter tracking those games every night. The Kings for two weeks have been the team. I've said that's the team. That's the team you have to try to catch. That's the team you're competing against. That's the team to watch. Uh, that's the team to root against. When there, you know, when there's matchups between teams that are in the race, cheer for the other team to beat the Kings. The Kings is the team to try to track down. And now it's pretty evident that's the case. That was right. Um, as you mentioned, four points behind, one game in hand for the night. So if they win tomorrow, which we thought they would against Vancouver, but they should against Arizona, that is a game you have to absolutely win. Now you're two points back with the same amount of games played. That's a decent position. It's not great because you do have some games that are really tough coming up, but it's a decent position to be in. Now the, the Kings have a tough road trip coming up as well, so we'll see how that plays out. But I think you can at least start to put pressure on them, which is a big factor in this where – they haven't really had much pressure on them. They've been in second place for a while. Now they're in third. A little bit of pressure building up for the Kings. So that's, you know, you might start to make them feel it a little bit. This is kind of new to them. They haven't been in a race in a while. Uh, so so I think that's what you're kind of looking at. And uh, you would hope, as you said, Knights get the win tomorrow. Now they're two points back. The Kings have a tough game, I think, at Minnesota coming up on Sunday. So if you do get two points back, if the if the Kings lose in Minnesota – now, all of a sudden, you can tie them with the same amount of games played when you go play Vancouver on the road. So you win the next two, the Kings lose the next game, 
Now you're tied. So now there's a ton of pressure on L.A., and you are you know, kind of breathing down their neck, which is, I think, what you want to do. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. His younger brother, Derek Carr, an MVP candidate now. Do we even need 45 seconds? Let me finish the sentence. <laughs> now that's Devontae Adams. That's a one-word answer. Is his wife receiver. He was one before. But now we're going to add Devontae Adams? I mean, of course. What are you talking about? These guys are already playing golf together. They're throwing routes. Uh-huh. I text him. I was like, how's it going, man? He's like, every ball is six inches in front of his chest. I'm like, I'm not surprised. Yeah. So not only is he a great player, but he's going to make everybody else better. Derek's great at, we talked about superpowers for quarterbacks last uh, last week. His, his superpower is to get it to the right guy versus the defense that he sees. Derek Carr has a superpower, according to David Carr. Yeah. David Carr there talking about uh, MVP candidates, and MJ Acosta's like, relax, relax. Just having fun, just having fun. We'll see if uh, the Raiders are going to cement a deal here, repping an MVP candidate. We're still waiting on that one. There's still a lot of residual heat in the Bay Area from Vegas stealing the Raiders. And Libby Schaff, the mayor, is at the forefront of this thing. Uh, she opened a can of worms the other day on a local news uh, interview, uh, and now it's the A's that we're, I guess we're competing for, although we have an update on that. Maybe, maybe not so much, but huh. uh, Libby Schaff, maybe with something in mind. I don't know what her end game is here, but taking shots at Vegas. It's going to be more complicated, and you've got to be much more environmentally focused when you are developing on the precious California coastline than in the gross desert of Las Vegas. Nothing prettier than a port area. <laughs> we all know that. It's fine. She's sticking up for her area, and they've been you know, beaten and bandied in losing one of their teams you know, to another city locally with the Warriors and losing the Raiders. Uh, so she's talking about the, uh, the project, the $12 billion project, and now there's some environmental hurdles to get over. So she takes a shot there at, at Vegas. Uh, Mayor Goodman fired back. Eh, kind of friendly fire, but a little bit of sass to it. Uh, she tweeted at Libby Schaff, the mayor of Oakland. Uh, mayor Schaff has this right. Sustainability is a priority. The beautiful city of Las Vegas is a world leader in sustainability and top destination. Libby Schaff, please join the more than 42 million visitors a year <laughs> and enjoy a trip to Las Vegas. We can go to a Raiders game. Yeah. Ouch. Right, Ouch. right back at her. Sure. Uh, mayor Schaff tweeted back, hey, mayor of Las Vegas, I respect every mayor sticking up for her town, but I can't Apologize for preferring our uh, gorgeous California coastline over a sweltering desert. She keeps going. And, well, then she was on another local news uh, show with an interview uh, in the Bay Area and said this. And I know uh, Mayor Goodman of Las Vegas has gotten into the fray as well. We're always going to stick up for our cities. We love them. Uh, I do not, however, apologize for preferring the spectacular vista of our Bay our Bay Bridge, the San Francisco skyline, the sunset over the Pacific Ocean uh, to the desert and some pretty tacky architecture. <laughs> Oof, going after so the owl, as uh, many people even on the station well, have called it the uh, the Roomba. The, be- the best part of this whole thing is that when Libby Schaaf did post a picture and said, you know, look at our stadium compared to yours, it was a picture of an old picture of Allegiant Stadium where there was nothing around it at all. Right. And then a... 
gra- an artist rendering <laughs> right. of what the Oakland Stadium yeah. could look like. Here's a photo of a stadium here that doesn't exist. But here, here's the thing. You look at your gross, tacky stadium, yeah. and here's a photo of what we're hoping to do. You don't have a stadium. Actually, show a picture of your stadium with Mount Davis. Sure. Show that picture. Um, here's the thing. I, I, I don't know of anybody that defends Las Vegas more than I do. Like I, I love this place. We've been talking about this forever. I will Uh-oh. run the Chamber of Commerce. Is he going to turn his back on all you Las Vegas? No, I also do love Oakland. But here's the thing. The people that are getting all worked up at Libby Schaff, I don't think they've listened. We just listened again, right? Mm-hmm. She breaks. She doesn't mean it. She breaks. Yeah. She start, She goes she into it. Time. She knows it's ridiculous yeah. what she's going to say. It's, it's a work. She's doing this just for the attention, the publicity. She's, she's trying to work this whole thing up. She doesn't even say it with a straight face. She can't. She knows it's being ridiculous. What's her end game? What, why is she doing this? Uh, I think she wants to put on a strong public face for Oakland. She also knows they're not losing the A's. Like That was never going to happen. So I think she wants to put up a strong public face, say, look, look how hard I fought for our city. Oh, when I had to go, when it was head to head against another city, I went against that city. Which you know, it's this is all, this is all. You won't budge on this at all. No, you do not believe beyond like what one percent that Vegas could get the A's from day one. I said this. I know you haven't budged. This was never going to happen ever. Las Vegas is never a realistic destination for a couple of reasons. One, the deal that they already have from Oakland is so much better than anything they're going to get here, mm-hmm. ever. They wanted more from Oakland. So they said, hey, look what the Raiders did for, or look what Vegas did for the Raiders. Nevada did for the Raiders. Maybe they'll match that. And then we can come back to Oakland and be like, hey, look, now we got yeah. that for the Raiders. We're not, we're not Portland. We're not Nashville. Yeah. We're not some piss poor city that needs Major League Baseball. Yeah. And there is zero appetite for any public money to go to a Major League Baseball stadium. And we'll build on this. It doesn't have the support of the governor. There's a story out today in the New York Post that's very interesting. And most importantly, if the powers that be on the Las Vegas Strip aren't in line with your project that could compete with them in terms of venue size and people out of their building, if the Strip ain't into it, and I'm not sure it is, if the Strip ain't into it, you don't have a shot in freaking hell. But we'll keep playing the game. We'll keep playing the game. I enjoy this, you know, the back and forth with Libby Schaff and and Mayor Goodman. And like I said, we'll build on what – Governor Sisolak uh, supposedly is saying, because there's some pretty juicy details here. The A's are going to, I think they're going to get to a point where they can only play this game for so long because the realization, like the reality is there's not really a giant hunger to have your team here. So you can't use us as a negotiating pawn. Cofield and company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas. I don't see where he's wrong at. You know, you look at the situation, Tom Brady is going to get plenty of credit because it's Tom Brady. Bruce Arians is going to get credit because he's a head coach. When Byron Leffert, as I said, all along throughout last season, throughout this past season, the Super Bowl run, Byron Leffert is the guy that's doing a lot. But what happens when you got a guy like Tom Brady, he's going to get the credit. You're listening to Cofield and Company, live at the LV Ballpark. Yep, we are on the scene for what essentially is the beginning of the season. A couple games in hand already against Reno. Triple-A baseball, fireworks night tonight. Beautiful LV ballpark. One of how many venues do we have in town? Uh, about 17 that hold like uh, more than 3,000, and I think we have another uh, 50 in the works. 
We were just talking about the A's and uh, how the A's may, uh, may be up against it eventually here when they, they're given the cold shoulder by a lot of Las Vegas power brokers and then all of a sudden don't have any leverage with the city of Oakland. But uh, that's all uh, you know, with the backdrop of the mayors going at it, Libby Schaff and, and Mayor Goodman on Twitter and uh, through news interviews. Let's get uh, back into the NFL draft and a lot of NFL news out there. Uh, Carmen Vitale is uh, working for the Draft Network, was uh, all over the Buck scene for a long time. Carmen, how you doing? Hi, guys. Good to, good to hear from you. Good to talk to you. Yeah, thanks for coming on with us. Uh, not to mock on your weather, but I will. I was watching the uh, White Sox in Detroit today. It was like 47 there. Chicago okay? Because it's like, uh, I'm a little sweaty today. It's like 83 here. Oh, wow. Yeah. No, it's like, there's like eight seasons in Chicago. Most of them include like fake-out seasons. You get like first, second, and third winter, and then you get like fake out spring. We're in like that fake out spring right now, or third winter, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> Let's set up some draft talk here and some NFL talk in general, but I'm just going to throw this one at you. Um, okay. Can an NFL draft have sizzle if there aren't elite quarterbacks that are almost guaranteed to go in the top 10? That's a great question. And actually, that's the first anyone's asked me that. And, um, I would think probably not, and I think that maybe this draft has been a little subdued because of the quarterback class, but I also don't think that means that these quarterbacks, there won't be a quarterback taken in the top ten, if not more than one at this point, just given the team needs and how quarterbacks like to rise in the draft, as always. I do want to get into that. I just, it just dawned on me as we're sitting here at Las Vegas Ballpark looking out, getting ready for uh, the Aviators game tonight uh, where we're doing the show. Uh, I believe you were out here. I think the last time I saw you was actually uh, on the field for Pro Bowl practice here, right? You were here? I was. I, that was actually when I was still working with the Bucks because the Draft Network is a very new uh, position for me. I just started about a month ago. But my last event with the Bucks was the Pro Bowl, and I got to see Las Vegas Ballpark, and it was gorgeous. But I wanted to ask, what did you think of Las Vegas as a Pro Bowl host, not only for the game, but also for practices out here at the ballpark? Yeah, I mean, it was a little far, I'll say that. I think, um, you know, they had the players staying out there by the ballpark, and that kind of backfired a little bit because um, I knew players scrambling for hotel rooms on the Strip uh, as soon as they got into town. But I think if you kind of worked out those kinks, then, you know, you have helped the guys stay on the Strip because I don't think you're going to be able to keep them from the Strip. Um, I think it was a great location, and honestly, a lot of the Bucks guys, at least, they brought their families, the kids had a lot of fun, um, but it was, the facilities were great, it was gorgeous, and I, I loved it. I think one of my favorite moments was uh, pulling up, parking out in the right field corner here at Las Vegas Ballpark, and seeing Patrick Mahomes, who looked like he may not have been to bed yet, pulling up in an Uber for practice. Oh, yeah, no, that was definitely a thing, and I think that that's why they had the guys staying out there by the ballpark, but I'm like, you guys, you're not going to keep these guys. On the strip, they're going to have fun. Um, they're going to go out, and uh, I saw a few of them out that week. I won't name names, but <laughs> it was a fun time. So we were talking about the quarterbacks. I, you, you mentioned they could go. I mean, I, I don't know if anybody thinks there's a slam dunk. This guy has to go in the top ten, but we know what quarterbacks you know mean and how valuable they are. So we think it could happen. Uh, Malik Willis, right now, a pretty sizable favorite to be the first, first quarterback picked. Will he be? I mean, yeah, I think so, just because you have to look. I think it also depends on who's picking and what they value, right? Because Malik Willis' ceiling, I think, is very, very high. as he's the highest of any of the quarterbacks in this class. But if you need a guy to come in right away, he might not be the guy. You might want to go with a guy like Kenny Pickett, who's got a higher floor at least. He might not have the higher ceiling or might not have a better potential 
uh, then a guy like Malik Willis. But, I mean, if you need someone right away, I think Kenny Pickett is the one that's been touted as at least most pro-ready right now, whereas Malik might take a little bit more refining before he's able to actually capture an offense at the NFL level. But that being said, it's just going to depend on what team is the one that's picking and what they need him to do and what they value. One of the one of the issues with covering the draft so closely as as you do now and and has as we're trying to do here in Las Vegas with the draft here is you have to sort through like what teams are lying, what teams are just trying to you know be strategic with the information they put out there, and what teams are just hey look this is this is what we think and this is what, what's getting out there. So it's always a tough process, but it seems mm-hmm. like there's pretty strong reporting that the Panthers management and, and when I say management, I guess I mean the owner really 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 wants Kenny Pickett. So is is that true? Do we know how accurate that? Yeah, I mean, I think that especially with the Panthers owner with Tepper, I I don't know that he's necessarily seasoned in those smoke screens yet. You know what I mean? Uh, he's still a relatively new owner, and he kind of is one of those guys that tells it like it is. He's pretty honest, and uh, you've heard from Panthers management saying that they're probably going to have to force the quarterback, which was very transparent of them. That happened about a week and a half ago where we heard at the owner's meeting. They were like, yeah, we're probably going to have to take a quarterback. And if that's the case, your owner really likes someone, don't underestimate the ownership influence um, on something as important as taking a quarterback. And so it's been so much trial and error out there in Carolina. Carmen Vitale, you can find her work up at the Draft Network. Check that out as you get ready for the draft here in Las Vegas. We look out uh, from the ballpark out on the strip where it's going to be chaos and craziness in a couple of weeks with the draft out there. We can't wait to watch it. Um, as, as, as we start to look through the prospects in the first round, I think one of the more intriguing prospects uh, is Derek Stingley Jr. Uh, from LSU. Obviously, his tape early in his career at LSU looks unbelievable. Uh, there's been injuries, which have led to a bit, little bit of inconsistency lately. Uh, clearly, to me, he's played at the highest level of any cornerback, uh, but there are a lot of questions going into this draft. So how do you think teams are viewing him right now? Yeah, I think no team went into his pro day at LSU the other day wondering about his athletic ability. I don't think that's a question for anyone, even with the injury coming back from the Liz Frank injury. Um, he's been head down. He trained at two different extra facilities or he's been rehabbing at two different extra facilities, he told us, um, at LSU. And the other day, um, when we got to talk to him, and honestly, I think it's more of the that kind of it factor that comes with being either at the top at any position, right, at the, at the NFL level. And so he had that monstrous freshman year from him. But at the same time, he was on a team where you had Joe Burrow as the leader, you had Jamar Chase as the leader, he didn't really have to shoulder any of that responsibility. And then when he did, I think it left something to be desired for a lot of NFL teams. You want to see that he can step up and he can make the, you know, take this next step up in that leadership kind of realm. Uh, and that's not something you really saw from him. He still kind of hung back in the shadows. And he, he played, he played well. He had some injury, you know, concerns that next season. And then obviously the Liz Frank injury this last year where it kept him out of all but three games in the beginning of the year. He said he actually suffered that injury in training camp prior to the season, so he was playing on it that entire time. Um, but I think that that's something that teams are still a little bit wary of. I don't know how much that will really factor into where he goes as far as like what teams want from him because he is he's so gifted athletically, and he showed that at the pro day. Finally, when teams got to see him kind of move, and he went through all of the drills, he had a 4.3740 according to the LSU timers, which are probably a little generous, but maybe not. Um, and he is by far and away athletically the best corner. It's just you really wonder about some of those intangibles, but you won't know 
until you kind of get him in there and he's, you know, been through your system, you know, for a couple of months, maybe even a couple of years. So when you say the word intangibles, how do you think he did in interviews? Yeah, I mean, I try not to let, obviously, my position and, and our position in covering these teams and covering these prospects where it's a little skewed where, I mean, this is the interaction that we get with these guys, right? We don't get to be in those meetings with, uh, with scouts and personnel and coaches and stuff like that. So you want a guy that can also project well to the media, and that's not something that I've seen from him. So we got to talk to him at the Combine first. I was there in Indianapolis at his podium session. It, was, it really felt like pulling teeth, and he, if you give him a yes or no answer, he answers yes or no. He does not elaborate. And, in fact, at LSU the other day, he was asked to elaborate on his time at LSU because he had just answered, oh, it was good. And the reporter was like, can you elaborate? And he's like, it was good. And you're like, all right, dude, like, this is part of it, right? And he has a father who has been through all of this before, right? And so you kind of think, like, aren't you prepared for this? And that's, it's disappointing because you want to get to know the guy and you want to be able to root for him, especially when he's so athletically gifted like he is. But it's hard. It's hard to get to know him. Well, when Adam Hill, my partner, got back, uh, you didn't mention anyone in a negative light except Stingley. So yeah. what was your impression? You, you, I mean, and you're pretty generous on the stuff. What was so, your problem? So I said the last time that I saw Carmen was at the Las Vegas ballpark. Apparently it was at the podium session. I just didn't know it uh, at the Combine. Uh, I pretty much – I'm the type of person that just falls in love with, like, every player. I'm like, that guy's awesome. That guy's awesome. And I came back and I said, there is no way I'd want Stingley on my team. I, I just wouldn't. If I was if really? I was a DM, no chance. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah it, for the, for the and, same and reasons again, that she's saying. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what he's like. In, you know, I've, I've heard from other scouts and coaches and stuff that he, he does well, you know, with them and when they're talking football and stuff like that. And he, he gets into detail and he seems to understand the game and he has that awareness and all that kind of stuff. But – you know, and, and so I don't know. He's, he's not going to be a media darling. I can tell you that. <laughs> Carmen Vitale with us here on Cofield and Company from the Draft Network at the Draft Network. Uh, you guys have anything coming up? Obviously, you're going to have a lot of programming. Anything coming up in the next couple of days that you wanted to push at the Draft Network? Yeah. Well, we're, uh, yeah, we've got a ton of stuff coming out as far as our scouts are all together in Phoenix, and they are going to be releasing some amazing content leading up to the draft got a ton of big plans for the draft itself. We'll all be out there in Vegas uh, for about a week, which I have like a two-night rule in Vegas, but this is really testing me as far as how long that can be in Vegas for. But uh, it's going to be fun, and there's, there's a ton of awesome stuff now that we're really, you know, in crunch time here in draft month. So uh, keep an eye on that. You covered the Buccaneers for a long time. Do you believe any of the stuff that's saying Brady may have pulled a coup on Arians? No, I mean, I, I, when it comes down to it, I mean, these are all ownership decisions, right? And, and, it's, and it's Bruce's, it was Bruce's decision, and he had said from the very beginning, I remember sitting in a press conference with him and even talking to him one-on-one, it's very, very important for him to develop coaches, and it's very important for him to give people opportunities, and he's walked that walk for so long. Um, and so this was kind of his plan and, and and he said that in his press conference as he stepped down you know it was i don't know if this was the exact timetable he had envisioned necessarily but he's leaving todd bowles with in a really good situation and that is not something that todd had the first time around when he was a head coach so i i think it was very important to bruce to make sure to set him up and he just you know this was the time that he decided to pull the trigger on it but walked that walk for so long that i don't have any reason to doubt this was kind of the plan 
We've got to close out with a couple of important questions. First of all, I saw the, uh, the thread going on about uh, terrible food takes, and your take was oh condiments. Condiments are terrible? What, 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 that's so general. What do you mean? <laughs> no, I don't know. I've mustard, mayo, ketchup. I can't do it. I don't, I don't know why. I, just, I never ate them growing up, and the consistency bothers me. It's bizarre because, like, I love tomatoes. I'm Italian. I love tomato sauce. Like, any, I will bite into a raw tomato any day, but I cannot do ketchup, and I cannot do mustard, and mayo just grosses me out. Have you had, really? have you had Chick-fil-A sauce? No, no, I've never had Chick-fil-A. Oh, boy. Oh that's like all that's... those things combined. Why would I ever have Chick-fil-A? <laughs> it's delicious and amazing. So there's, like, you're, there's no sauces? There's no dips in your existence? No, that's not. I mean, like, I'll have ranch because I'm from the Midwest. Okay. So that's, that's like, like, you know, a food group all entirely. Um, I, there's, there's, it's a case-by-case basis, but mostly like, I steer away from most sauces. Um, I'll do dressings on salads, but just very little. I'm pretty plain when I go <laughs> Okay, I, I can I can be down with that. One more. I saw you react to uh, Darius Leonard talking about drinking at the airport at like seven thirty in the morning. I'm with you on this one. <laughs> out all this stuff. Well, airport time doesn't exist in airports. Like, can we all disagree? And in yeah. fact, also, I've I've said this about Las Vegas itself. Um, I believe that Las Vegas is America's airport because time doesn't exist in Vegas either. Yes. Um, and so you like you, it's a judgment-free zone. You don't know what people are going. <laughs> and also, if I'm on vacation, the first thing I'm reaching for is a mimosa. Fight fire. Why not? Nobody can disagree with that. Yeah, well, you got no fight. We are very pro-drinking. If I could be drinking right now, I would have started freaking half an hour ago when the show started. So I'm with you. I'm with you. Well, have a good weekend, and uh, let's, uh, let's try to catch up when you're out here, and we want to get some of the folks on uh, some of your uh, cohorts from the uh, Draft Network. So we appreciate the spot today. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll keep in touch, and I look forward to seeing you guys in Vegas. There you go. See what I'm doing now? Wasn't that, didn't you tell me it was, uh, or was it uh, Naked City Chris who uh, loves that Levitard basically like books the next spot? Yeah. But I mean, like, he, but, they, but they were doing it like the next day. Right. Like, hey, Carmen, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Like, wait, it was, what? Like, it was a wait, bit. Wait, I'm on tomorrow? It was a bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, and we talked that, remember the show in Hawaii did that with, with well, me. Well, that was with you. You were uh, on every different. You were on every day. But, and it was, a, but it wasn't, you were co hosting every day. Sure, but it's a bit. It's like a bit to see, like, okay, let's see how long this will go for. Right. Okay. I'll, okay. But if you do it on the air, it's like it's tough to say no. Yep, exactly. So it's just like how long will they keep doing this before they say no? That's a classic. When uh, I, we, we don't do it often, but it's like, hey, we ran out of time. Can you stay through the break? No. Like, no one ever says no. <laughs> no. But you know, they're, they go get on hold and they're like, i got stuff to do. <laughs> Telling whoever's with them, hold on, i got got to do another, another gotta, 10 minutes. i got to carry this stupid Cofield and Company show for another 15 minutes. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield and Co. Now, back to Cofield and Company. I'm just curious how you've had to evolve your coaching style as more and more players do leave. When we got back from South Carolina, we had three or four of the kind of practices we used to have when you could coach kids. Half the team loved it. The other half were a little bit shocked. We don't practice like that anymore. Not like we did 15 years ago. But there's still only one way to win a championship. And you have to be disciplined and you have to play hard. And you have to aspire to be great. I like it. I like it. Vast Sound Crew thinking on this one. Matching up Gino Oriema with his back in my day talk with somewhat Frank Stallone from 83. Crank it up. Come on, Gino. Let's do it. Give a little give a little dance. Give a little double D dance, right? Wasn't that made famous? 
by the press. We'll double D dance. Let's do it. Gino Oriema on the girls ain't tough today like they used to be. <laughs> Which you know where the Vast Sound Crew found that one on one of your favorite sites at Coaching Changes. Oh, yeah. Which is awesome. And that website, which, you know, follows Coaching Changes, has a lot of great college basketball. And a lot of great college basketball rumors basically said, like, you know, it's funny. The other coaches are actually winning titles now. You don't hear them denigrating the young ladies saying they're not as tough as they used to be. They're just winning. Well, th- there's definitely some coaches, and for those that don't know, that that site, the reason I think that they're able to have so much different information out there is because they have, like, 30 different people who have the password to the site and can post. Right. Um, so and a like, lot of them are coaches or former coaches. Right? And, yeah, and so there's, like, plausible deniability of, like, right. hey, I posted this. Like, well, who was it? It right. could be anybody. Right. Uh, so there is some anonymity to it, and they can really get some stuff out there. But there are some coaches that they just hate, and Gino's definitely one of them. Well, he's very arrogant. Yeah. Um, I think he's very demeaning to many of his players. And, you know, I I can see both sides of this that, hey, maybe maybe you can't practice like you used to practice, but I will not buy that all kids, and he didn't say that, but that most kids don't want to work the way they used to. Come on. Yeah. And here's the other thing. To me, when you turn to that, that line of defending what's going on with your team, that means you haven't evolved. Yeah. And demeaning the kids is the only way. It's like it's bosses in the workplace. Things are different now. Oh, you know, employee. Oh, these millennials. No, it's actually on you. You're too immature to freaking evolve. Maybe you don't have the ability to motivate people without denigrating them and screaming at them. Yeah, and, and maybe, you know, we talk about this, you know, with the like the Women's World Cup team where there was like nobody else playing and all of a sudden they were dominant. UConn was getting literally every good player in women's college basketball and they were just rolling the championships. Adam, he after they were getting their ass kicked in the in the championship game and good for them they came back and then they got blown out in the fourth quarter. But after the first period, after the first quarter, he walks over to Holly Rowe and he was basically like, "What can we do? They're just better." <laughs> and it's like I I went I actually went back, I don't know why. But I went back and I looked at his his last like six recruiting classes. It was like there's no one below the number thirty one player in the country. He had four former I think it was like four of the last five number one or two players in the country on his roster. We don't have it. It's, uh, it's what can I do? Uh, we don't have it. We just don't have the horses. What? Like you do. What you're doing is working well, but it ain't working to a championship level. And then the other thing he did, that, that quote was from a couple of days ago. The the beginning of the, the question was the transfer portal. And he finished up after what he said there. He says, you know, anyone who's left here hasn't gone on basically to do anything at a real program. Like, bro, it's that kind of talk. Elena Deladon? That's a good point. I forgot about her. (laughs) Really? Well, I guess he would claim she didn't leave because, you know, she didn't like him or the program. That she needed to be closer to her family. Which is true, but she left. Right. (laughs) But I'm that's pretty arrogant. And I also, you know, it's funny. We talked about this yesterday with Marcus Arroyo. Um, you know, UNLV football just lost their best returning receiver. I, I, is he the best, Steve Jenkins? Probably not. I think Kyle Williams is slightly ahead of him. But by, by the numbers, he was the best. And I could, I could sense that Arroyo was a little frustrated by it. But what he didn't do is just start slamming him. Right. And I don't know the backstory. I don't even, I don't even know if he's unhappy, if he would slam him. 
but you can't do it anyway, and you really can't have an attitude in public of, hey, you know, you don't want to be here? That's on you. That's your fault. Well, you know, maybe you got to listen to the kids a little bit more. Maybe you have to be a little more flexible. Maybe you have to change a little bit. And the other thing you don't want to do is slam players going out and then go to other players and go, come on, <laughs> this is a great place to play. I, I'm going to love you. Wait, I just saw you shredding the kid who just left. Yeah, but that was them. I won't do that to you. Yeah. I like you. Yeah. And, and uh, I, I think the adaptability thing is absolutely true. Uh, it's – it's not figuring out a way. I mean, listen, they're still competitive. They still get a ton of great players. Um, but th- th- there's there's no plan for, oh, other teams have good players too? Now what? Like, they haven't come up with that plan. And so, you know, it, it's it's pretty crazy. It, it's it's great to watch. It's very fun to watch him lose, which I, I love. Uh, but it, it's, it's pretty nuts that he hasn't done it. And one of the things, as I mentioned, that, uh, that coaching changes tweet a couple weeks ago, uh, posted, hey, even in this world where so many more things are permissible, there are still going to be coaches out there that find a way to cheat. And it said, yes, this is a tweet about Gino Oriema. So I was talking about cheating in women's basketball that Gino's doing it. Yeah. And I'm guessing that the allegations would be that he's often done it. Sure. That he always has. Yeah. And again, that's not us. That's that's coaches that's right. in, in the coaching world that have done it, uh, that have said it. But um, he he, to us, I mean, to this show, has always been a – bad human being and a fortunate coach. I mean, he, he, he did things. He, he was far ahead of, you know, the arms race in women's college basketball. And now it's caught up, and he clearly can't adjust, can't adapt, and he's whining about it. The portal's nuts. It really is. Because so many players are in it, which means there are openings at just about every school. So, you know, what we've been able to kind of wean from – seeing player reports and some media reports, you know, about 8, 10, 12 guys that UNLV is making an effort on. And by the way, we were going to talk to Kevin Kruger today at 5.30, but I think he's going to be on a plane uh, at that time, uh, some schedule changes, uh, because he's out, you know, trying to recruit. He's trying to get into the transfer portal. But I'll tell you, every guy that has been connected to UNLV, the list is amazing. And, I mean, that's what you'd want anyway. Yeah. Um, But I – I wonder, and we're going to get him on next week, I, I wonder, because I think he's very much in the transfer portal, and there's going to be a little bit of balance with four-year players, or, well, freshmen. You know, if they're going to be four-year players, if they're going to stay, right? They have a great kid coming in, a top 100 player, and, and Kyron Lindsey out of Dallas in, the, in, this, uh, in this coming uh, year. But I, I wonder what the philosophy is when you're a UNLV. Are you trying to go up and bring kids, you know, to, we'll call it a mid-major level? Because it worked last year with Royce Ham, Sure. It worked when he played with Donovan Williams. It worked at times with Jordan McCabe. You know, I would say they went down and pulled up Nuga, huh. right? And it, it worked here and there. It, didn't, it wasn't an immense success. But what would be your philosophy? What would you do? Um, I mean, I think it, it, it depends. I think you have to explore all options. I think you have to find guys from everywhere and, and just find – you know there is something to program fit more than more than just hey that guy's good right I like that guy well how does he fit with what you want to do how does he fit with your style which, which by the way is exactly what I was thinking of San Diego State and boy they they uh, boy some of their media they're very very much into the Aztec program if you know what I mean <laughs> sure um, uh, they got Darian Trammell a kid from Seattle the other day seventeen point per game at Seattle in the WAC. I mean, we saw him play against UNLV. It was his worst game of the year. He just blanketed him, and he, he did nothing. And he's a good player. 
But they, San Diego State was going gaga about it. And the biggest thing with San Diego State, when you talk about fit, can the kid play defense? We'll yeah. say at 5'10", if he can play defense against bigger guards. But, yes, program fit is important. The, the short list of players that at least I'm tracking that have been out there are from, let's see, this is where they were, Oregon, Texas, Wichita State, the big kind of heavy kid. I'm not going to say heavy. He's, he, was, he was a load. He was about 270 pounds. Uh, Morris Udeze, who really pushed around Royce Hammond and the other bigs. Uh, he's in the portal. So Wichita State, let's see, South Carolina is Devin Carter, but – he may be almost a lock for Oregon now because Oregon just hired a South Carolina assistant. Uh, Luis Rodriguez, Ole Miss, uh, USC and Ethan Anderson. Uh, there's a Colorado guard, a Princeton guard, Indiana guard, Drexel. Okay, so that's, you know, a little, a, I would say a little bit down, right, in terms of bringing a kid up and then a kid at Vanderbilt and then uh, maybe Isaiah Cottrell at West Virginia. So it's mostly guys who are power fives, you know, bringing them to UNLV. Who's the Princeton guard? That's Llewellyn. Yeah, he's good. Yeah. I, was say, I mean, every, Llewellyn, he, everyone's in on him. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's a good player. <laughs> That's, it's good for Yale that he's getting out of there. I like that. Good news. So you see the approach here, and, and, it, and it did work with most of the guys who came from Power 5, which means that because I see folks reacting to some of the lists, and they're like, when are we going to get a score? You're, you're, there's a good chance you're not getting a guy who was 17 points per game somewhere else. I mean, the Matt Bradley thing to San Diego State was pretty unique from Cal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's, um, it's fit in the program, but also why, why are they looking for a different opportunity? Why are they going somewhere else? You know, in the case of Llewellyn, it's fairly obvious. It's, you know, I believe he, he graduated, I think. They don't have the COVID um, year. And, right. So it, yeah, the Ivy kids don't have the COVID year, so they have no choice. Well, and, they, and they can't redshirt. It's a whole weird thing in right. the Ivy um, so, and I think he's just like, Hey, look, I want to go find and, and, you know, find another place to play and find another, a higher level to play at. And, and, you know, it just depends on the guys, uh, why they're in there, what their, what their mentality is, what their motivation is, what they're looking for. What do they want to find in a new program? And, and all those things matter too, outside of just, do they fit as a player? Do they fit as a person? Do they fit as a personality? Do their objectives fit your objectives? Cofield and Company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas.